Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. We were singing out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And a lot of times I think people to see that in the negative light, like when something bad comes out, we're like, oh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the true, the opposite is true. As you fill yourself with the praises of God, as you put your attention on him, guess what? When things, when you're confronted with difficulty or when you're confronted uh, in a situation, guess what's going to come out? What you put in. And who's responsible for that? We are. All right. All right, good stuff. So today I'm going to talk about harnessing the power of desire. I do want to say my kids, my kids uh, say that I'm cheap, but I'm just not buying it. All right. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you got to. Put a little joke in there, you know what I mean? So this sermon is really a part two of the last sermon that I talked on, where I talked on needs. And in that message, I taught on how to relate to our needs in a healthy way. Say healthy way. And by design, or that from the very beginning, we were created to be need-based beings. It's not because of the fall, but God designed us to be need-based beings, but by design, needs were meant to draw us into his presence and purpose. And so you might say, well, what went wrong? Well, let me tell you. Lies and sin entered the equation, which brought fear, shame, and control. And then, but the truth is, God's original plan to supply all of our needs has not changed. And then I ended it out by explaining how to get our needs met through God's structure of provision. So in a nutshell, that was the basic premise of what I've shared. And so if you would like to hear the fullness of it, there's this crazy, I know it's crazy, this crazy thing called the internet, and you can uh, go check it out and uh, listen to it, listen to it on a podcast or whatever. But today, I want to talk about harnessing the power of desire. Now, needs and desires are closely related in how they affect our lives, So they're similar, but they're also separate. So if we, going back to my previous sermon, if we're stuck in survival mode, we'll never tap into the power that God ordained desire to play in our lives. So yes, you can have desires, you can have a desire to meet your needs, but what I'm referring to today is once needs are met, okay? So like I said, Go back and get a healthy understanding of how, how to relate to needs, and then this is, this is kind of like part two. So think of needs as God filling your cup, and desire is the overflow, okay? So if needs, in that scenario, needs are God filling your cup, filling what you require, but then desire is the overflow, okay? 
Another way to look at it is needs are like a meal, right? And desire is like the dessert, okay? Proverbs 13, 19, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. So fulfilled needs are the forerunner to satisfied desire. But God's ultimate plan is to get us to the point where we live from the overflow. If God was satisfied with only meeting the needs of his children, the Israelites would still be going around the mountain. If God only just, if he only wanted to meet your needs solely, he would have been fine with just keeping the Israelites just going around the mountain. Because guess what? All their needs were supplied for. They had everything they needed. They had food. Their clothing didn't wear out. Now, for some women, that might be not great because they want to go shopping or whatever, but, and men too, right? So every need was supplied, yet he had, prom- he had a promised land for them to enter. Do you see the difference? Now, they were a very different people when they entered the promised land, literally and also in the way of their thinking, Right? So Joshua kind of, it's his turn, and they're basically saying, if anybody disobeys you, we're just going to kill him, right? So they're thinking of doubt and fear and uh, disobedience and stubbornness. They're saying, listen, we're not going around the mountain one more time. So their attitude had really changed. So this is, this is why it's part two. Having a healthy understanding of our needs is essential to harnessing the power of desire, So let's define desire so that we're on the same page. There are 27 Hebrew words translated desire, obviously, in the Old Testament. And their meanings range from to yearn for, to long after, to seek, to delight in, to have pleasure. They can also have a negative connotation to covet or to lust after, greed or rebellious will. These words are generally associated with human wants, emotions, cravings, sexual longings, as well as desire for God. Now, in the New Testament, they're very similar. Obviously, they're Greek words, they're not Hebrew words, but they're very similar. They're, they're very similar. But let me just give you a simplified definition of desire. It's the feeling of wanting something. How many of you have ever felt that before? The feeling of wanting something. So I wanted to to define desire because it reveals an important truth that desire is our internal motivator. So what was it to yearn for, to long for, to seek, to desire, to have pleasure in? So desire is our internal motivator. It's what moves us into action. If you did not have a desire for something, you would not be moved. Now, desire is an, is an innate ability. What does that mean? It means it's a part of our DNA. It's an essential part of our existence. It's a function of the human design. So when God created mankind, he, in, he instilled within his creation the ability to desire and to be motivated by it. Can you say with me, desire is good? Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our, in our likeness. So that innate ability to desire found in all humans can, can be traced back to the very nature of God. To desire is to reflect the nature and image of God. Here's the thing. God is full of passion. He's full of desire. He's full of zeal. And yet he needs nothing. Right? 
God is full of desire, but he is the source of all things. So do you see how they're similar needs and, and desire is similar or they relate to one another, but they're different. They're separate. So this tells us that desire is not dependent upon need. Desire can relate to need, but it's also separate from it. So I just wanted to make that distinction. But what's important is that we have, de we have desire because it's a, a part of God's nature. So I want to simplify how desire works, and I, or I want you to think of it in this way. Desire means to see. Can you say that with me? To see, see. to desire, desire, and then to pursue. Yeah. So to see, to want or long or yearn for, and then to pursue it. You can see this in the nature of God from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God saw the separation. God saw a broken relationship. God saw how sin uh, perverted his creation. But what did he do? What was his desire? He loved, right? He loved. He desired reconciliation. He desired for the relationship to come back how he intended it for it to be. So he saw, he loved, and then what did he do? He gave. He pursued. He gave action to his passion. So we are made in his likeness. We are also, we like to see, we like to desire, and then we pursue. How many of you were not thinking about ice cream until you saw it on a commercial. And then you're like, you know what? I'm feeling some ice cream right now. <laughs> you're yearning for it. You're desiring it. And then what do you do? You say, honey, will you go and get me some ice cream? And I said, I will not be a part of that plan, that plan of destruction. <laughs> but if you go, I'll have some for sure. You know. Anyways, so it's important to understand the order of how desire works. I'll explain why. Because desire is that internal motivator. It's what moves us into action. But ultimately, desire is what fuels our perception or what we see. Did you have a, well, maybe you might have, but in that scenario, did you have a desire for ice cream until you saw it? No. That's how advertising works, <laughs> right? So desire is that inter internal, internal motivator, but it doesn't do things on its own. It's responding to what we see. So if our perception or how we see the world was a car, desire is the gasoline that we put in it. So think of what we see or how we perceive the world as a car, but it won't go anywhere until you put gas in it. And desire is the gas or it's the gasoline that propels us or moves us into action. You know, you can have amazing muscle car, but if it doesn't have the fuel, it's not going anywhere, right? Some guys like that. They just like it to look pretty and just stay there, you know. So desire fuels our perception of ourselves, Okay, desire fuels our perception of others. 
Desire fuels our perception of God. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, I want you to get this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, so she longed for it, she yearned for it, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Do you see how desire worked there? She saw it and she said, that looks good and I want it. And then what did she do? She ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So this verse confirms that the ability to desire was firmly rooted in Eve before the fall. Remember when I said it's a part of our creation design to see, to want, and then to pursue after. It's actually a reflection of who God is. Adam and Eve were accustomed to seeing, desiring, and pursuing. This God-given ability is purposeful as well as powerful. But think about it. That at that point of history, before sin, the boundaries of fulfilled desire were limited. Right? Don't eat of this tree and you're good. They couldn't do that one. Right? We, we probably couldn't either. But look at this. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. So it was not uncommon or out of character for Adam and Eve to see, to want, and to pursue. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So part of the purpose of desire is that when it is fulfilled, it produces a harvest of life. God's original purpose, right? Are you guys following me? Remember what I began the message out with? What comes out of our heart is what we put in it. And I'm going to talk about how our perception really affects our desire. Genesis 1.31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So that innate, that function of desire was called good. So from the beginning, God called desire good, period. So God does not make mistakes Desire was imparted to us for a purpose so that we could be powerful and free. To see, to desire, and then to pursue is the essence of freedom. I want you guys to hear that again. To see, to want, and to pursue is the essence of freedom. But guess what? The opposite is true. When we use our desire for evil, it will bind us and render us powerless. So when I was studying out desire, it seemed that most people believed that there were good desires as well as evil desires, two separate entities. Like, have you ever seen that cartoon where there's a, a good angel on one side, and then there's a bad one, and they're fighting inside, right, to get power of control? But I don't believe that there are two entities of desire. I believe that there's desire, and God calls it good. So why, is, why are there scriptures speaking about both evil and good desires? Because desire will mirror your perception. Remember, desire is just a fuel to move the car, right? And what is the car? Your perception. Because desire will mirror your perception. In many of those passages, you also see the author then challenge their perception or confront their way of thinking. 
In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, I'm kind of going fast because there's some things I want to get to. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Another version will say, um, exercise self-control, prepare your mind for action. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What is it saying? Take control of your mind, right? Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's saying, take control of your mind, but where are you placing your attention? On Christ. Then it goes on to say, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust. Other versions will say evil desires. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Why were there evil desires? Because they had a lack of understanding. But he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So what does it say? Look at Jesus. Look at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, be holy because he's holy. Do you see this? So prepare your mind for action. Use self-control. Remember what I said, desire fuels your perception. You could see this throughout the New Testament so much. Look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on truth. I mean, you see it in the, the story where, where Peter wants to go out and walk on the water with Jesus. What happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus, and what happens? He begins to seek. You see this pattern throughout the New Testament. Fix your eyes on on Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Because your desire will fuel your perception. So if I continually fix my eyes on Jesus, where will my desires take me then? Come on. Because it is our desire that fuels our perception. If you think about how much you hate someone and you meditate on that, what will your desire start to look like? It's going to fuel what you hate. Does it feel like we have these good and evil desires within us battling it out? Yes. It's more of a battle of truth but not of two separate entities of there's this evil angel and this bad angel or this evil angel and this good angel. Do you realize in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we're saying, oh, we got this devil inside of us. When Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit of the tree, it was a perversion of a gift. What was the gift or what was that nature that was given to them to see to, or to perceive, to long for or to yearn after, and then to pursue after it? That's what they did. But what happened? They believed a lie. 
The lie affected how they saw, which fueled their action to sin. So what was the enemy doing? You know how you've been spending time with God, you know, in the cool of the day? You know, he's with you, but you know what? He's holding something back from you. He's not giving you the very best. He knows. He knows if you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. What is he doing? He's changing how they see God. Are you guys following me? And when they saw God in a different light because of a lie, they yearned for something that they knew that they could not have. And what did they do? They ate it. So desire will mirror your perception. Therefore, the moral outcome of desire is a reflection of what I believe to be true. See, it's easier to say, well, that evil desire in me, this, this little devil on my shoulder, that's what made me do it. Now, actually, the moral outcome of desire is a reflection of what I believe to be true about myself, about others, and even about God. You have the gift of desire, and God calls it good. So why does God call desire good? Because desire is the forerunner of freedom. Like I said in the New Testament, fix your eyes on Christ. Look at Christ. and um, Look at Christ. Fix your eyes on Christ. Why are we doing that? So that as what we see, then we'll be fueled by the desire that we have. So once perception is changed, then desire can be the catalyst for transformation. Once our perception is changed, then desire can be the catalyst for transformation. Have you ever dealt with an evil desire? All of us, right? Well, instead of addressing the desire, we should be addressing, what am I perceiving incorrectly? What am I believing about myself that's causing this? If you see yourself as a dog, you're going to act like a dog. <laughs> are you guys following? Are you seeing this? If, how, if you perceive yourself as God created you to be, where will desire take you? Like I said, desire is the forerunner of freedom. What does it say? Be transformed by... Renewing the mind. Be transformed by kicking that devil off your shoulder. No. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have the mind of Christ. Uh, when uh, William Wood came here, he talked about, um, if I have the mind of Christ, I can trust what I think. See, well, I'll, I'll move on from that. I can. Since desire can be traced back to the nature of God and his heart, and from the beginning he's placed it as a key component in the heart of mankind, we must then recognize that desire is a powerful gift from God that requires cultivation, understanding, and stewardship. Are we equipped to harness the power of desire? Or are we afraid of our desires? 
Did you ever have a desire and say, and be like, that has to be wrong because it came from me? Or I can't trust my desires. But I guess it depends on where you're looking. Remember, God calls it good. So I don't want to stifle something that God calls good. Having desire and having our desire fulfilled is part of the normal Christian life. Much of the church has created strategies that suppress desire rather than empowering the believer to activate and steward it. If we're going to be a free people, a powerful people, we must be able to harness the power of desire and not suppress it. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. So when desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. So if we don't learn to steward this powerful gift, we'll be waiting around for God to do something he's called us to do. So I want to give you some practical ways of harnessing desire. So this would be the first and most important step in stewarding the gift of desire, and that is to have proper perspective. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, so something's changed, right? Are you guys seeing this? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, Huh, that's a tough one. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember how I said something's changed? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Why can we not look at someone through the flesh? Because we won't want to have reconciliation. We won't want to be a minister of reconciliation. Are you guys following me? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So this is our model, right? Not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Do you see why we cannot look or regard someone according to the flesh? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In who? In Christ. So remember, desire is what fuels our perception. So as believers, we're commanded to view or perceive our world through the lens of Christ. Since we are believers, we have to view ourselves through Christ. We have to view our neighbor through Christ, the one, the one that, you, that bothers you, right? That gets you going, gets your blood flowing. 
Yeah, that one. And we have to view our relationship with God through Christ. And you can see that all in this verse. We perceive others through Christ. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. No longer according to the flesh, but through the eyes of Christ. I love how that started out. Therefore, what does it say? Therefore, from now on, this is what's required of you. To view others through the lens of Christ. We are to perceive our relationship with God through Christ. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so, so that we would not so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So how should we look at our relationship with God? Through Christ, through what Christ has done. And then it goes on, and we need to perceive ourselves through the lens of Christ. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation, You mean that dirty dog is dead? Yes, that dirty dog is dead. All things that is related to the old order have vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. In Galatians 5.24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we cannot look at ourselves through the lens of flesh. We cannot look at others through the lens of the flesh. We cannot look at our God through the lens of flesh. It's all through Christ. So our perspective is through Christ, not the flesh. As a believer, the only possible way for you to have an evil desire is to view yourself, others, and God through the lens of the flesh. Like I said before, if you're struggling with so-called evil desires, challenge how you think about yourself, about others, and about God. And to see those three things through the lens of Christ. Because your desires will mirror your perception. We don't have a desire issue. We have a perspective issue. Because of Christ, how we relate to our desires have completely changed. It's easy to think that desires are what control us because they are that internal motivator. Remember what I said, desires are that that fuel that powers our perception. So it's easy to think that desires control us. But the truth is that what we see and how we perceive it is what ultimately moves us. Desires aren't the instigator of behavior. They're just responding to our perception. Romans 13, 14. Instead, fully immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. I'm going to read that again. 
Instead of full, instead, fully immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus. So we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're viewing ourselves. We're viewing others. We're viewing uh, God through the lens of Christ. Immerse yourself into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. Remember, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So don't even waste a moment's thought on your former identity. Why? When you start thinking how bad you are, <laughs> what a dirty dog you are. I have experience with dogs now. So, <laughs> Major would not like this sermon because he's like, why were you talking about me that way? Don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity. Why? Because it awakens selfish desires. What is desire? To see, to want, and then pursue. Don't give a moment's thought on the old man, that dead man, that man that's been crucified with Christ. Don't even give that a moment's thought. Why? Because it will awaken desires. Why? Because what I see will fuel what I do. So my attention has shifted away from that dead man. And guess what? Death will produce after its kind. So when we focus on life, when we focus on his mercy, when we focus on his truth, when we focus on who he is in the revelation of Jesus Christ and allow his spirit to speak to us and uh, lead us and direct us and guide us, and guide us, when our attention is on that, guess what happens? Life. The thief comes to steal. I didn't even have it in my notes, but it has to be in every one of my sermons. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, speaking of Jesus, have come to give life and life more abundantly. When you focus on him, guess what? Your desires are, are going to start moving towards life. When desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. So how we perceive informs our desires, not the other way around. You don't have to struggle to control your desires. The challenge is to see our world through the lens of Christ. Paul speaks of this challenge. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. I keep my eyes on the prize. So Paul had one compelling focus, to know, to see, to experience a life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you, that prize is not your calling. That prize is not your giftings. That prize is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. The prize is a relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Can you see why it's imperative to see through proper perspective through Christ if we want to cultivate, understand, and steward our desire? If we can do this, it's really winning the biggest battle.
Can you see why desire is a forerunner of freedom? If I keep my eyes on him, it will inform my internal motivator to pursue. When we keep our eyes on him, that desire is going to start motivating us to, like, I got this from Bill Johnson, but I think it's awesome. So I'm going to, I use it a lot, but like in the natural, the less you eat, the hungrier you, you get, right? How many of you have been hungry and you haven't eaten and it's not a pretty situation and people just back up from you, all right? But in the spirit realm, the less you eat, you'll become passive. Or the more you eat in the spirit realm, the hungrier you become. So the more we fix our eyes on him, the more we feast of his goodness, the more we partake of what he offers, guess what happens? I get hungrier. So the biggest thing that we can do to cultivate and steward desire is to see ourselves, see others, and see God through the lens of Christ. Therefore, from now on, therefore, from now on, don't look at those around you according to the flesh. And then it talks about how we see ourselves, that we're a new creation. And then it talks about that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. From now on, this is how we need to see the world around us. So the second thing is dare to take a risk. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So this verse is so essential in understanding God's plan and our desire. The first part is the heart of man plans his way. So what does that mean? It means the heart of man calculates. He analyzes, he imagines, he innovates, he he considers, he's mindful of. And then what does it say? But the Lord establishes his steps. And established means to be firm, to be stable, to make ready, to set up. If you're going to cultivate our desires, if we are going to cultivate our desires, our heart must be willing to plan. And you could talk about disappointment and frustration and all that and how that robs our ability to see past our moment. But if we're going to cultivate desire, we have to be willing to plan. You must dare to dream. You must dare to believe. You must dare to envision. So you have to be willing to step out of the boat for your feet to be established. Matthew 14, 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, I love that. You're in a storm. If it's you, God, tell me to come out. Walking on the water, what, what, what is that? That is the heart of man plans. He envisions. He says, if that's Jesus out there, I want to be out there. Matthew 14, 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. The Lord established his steps. In a thing, unless it's ice, it's not firm, Right? <laughs> 
Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. What did he do? He looked at the wind and the waves. Then it says, save me, Lord, he shouted. It wasn't until he took his eyes off of Jesus that the the firmness or the establishment of his steps failed him. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? So many people are so afraid to step out outside of God's plan and God's calling and God's purpose. But I believe you can't if you're in Christ. Think about that. If you are in Christ and your eyes are set on him, how can you be outside of God's will? That doesn't mean you don't make a mistake. But he's right there when we call out. Are you guys following this? Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained, saying I'm not perfect, or that I am already perfected, but I press on. I keep my eyes fixed on the prize. So I want you guys to really get this. When your eyes are set, you can trust what's in your heart. Well, how do I know if I can trust my desires? How do I know if your eyes are set on him? You can trust what's in your heart. Thank you, Father. All right, there's a couple more things, but I'll just give you one. And so the first one is to see our world through the lens of Christ. The second one is dare to take a risk, dare to step out of the boat. And this next one is give your desire substance to burn. If not, they'll fade out. Leviticus 9.24. So this is God. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. So God is doing a supernatural act here. He's coming and starting a fire. But these were the instructions that God gives before he lights the fire. Leviticus 6.12-13. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. So God does this supernatural thing. He lights the wood. He lights the fire. But in the chapter before, he's instructing the priest, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship of, of the offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So this was the priest's responsibility. So I want to challenge you. I believe that God has supernaturally lit things within us. But I believe it's our responsibility to keep that burning. To keep on adding the wood that is necessary or the, the substance that is necessary. And these are just a few examples, but... Let's say God lit within you uh, a calling for worship. And you're like, well, God, I, I don't know how to do any of that. Play guitar or sing or, well, are, have you given it substance? Have you went out and bought a guitar? Have you went out, not to burn the guitar, you know, that's, that's a little too rock and roll. All right. 
buy the guitar, get, there's so many, like when I started doing worship, there was no YouTube videos. There was no such thing as that. You know, you just had to listen to it and figure it out. But now there's so much that you can start feeding the fire that God's put within you. Maybe you have a call for business and you just don't know where to start. Pick up a book. Pick up a book. Find people that are in business and just, you know, ask them questions. Have you invested money into the idea? What about passion for healing? Do you find people to pray for? I feel like God wants to heal people. Are you praying for people? Are you beginning your day with healing scriptures? Are you listening to podcasts that stir faith for healing? Are you seeking out testimonies of healing to stir your faith? Are you feeding the fire that God has lit with inside of you? 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on on my hands. For the spirit of God... For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. A lot of times we don't pursue after the things that God put within our heart is because we're afraid. And fear will always replace a burnout gifting. So if you struggle with fear, give your giftings or give those desires substance to burn. A stirred up a stirred up gift or a stirred up desire will always burn brighter than fear. So I hope that this challenged you today. I, I, I think the biggest thing for me in this sermon is a lot of times we just think that there's this, this bad person within inside of us, this evil desire. And I truly believe that that desire from the very beginning is good and God calls it good. We just have to change the way we see. We have to look at Christ. We have to look at ourselves. We have to look at others in our world and God through the lens of Christ. But that's a wonderful gift, right? And I believe that if you can harness the power of desire, right? If you can harness the power of desire, it will produce more freedom within your life. A lot of times people think if I, if I give in to my, my desires, it's just going to end up in a, a wreck, right? I can't trust what's inside of me. But I would challenge you and say, if your eyes are set, like I said before, if your eyes are set, you can trust what's in your heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you for today. Lord, and even as... You showed me this morning that that you were softening hearts. So, Lord, I just pray that even as you did that in worship, Lord, I pray that as I spoke, Lord, there was even greater level of softening so that they can fully embrace all that you have for them and the things that you place within their heart. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we have the prayer and healing team come up?